welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast is created by Notation, a first check venture capital firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We invest in amazing technical teams and projects in New York City on day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. This season of Origins is sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank and Cooley LLP. Silicon Valley Bank is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors, with a dedicated practice for emerging managers. They've been friends and partners to Notation since the beginning. To learn more about SVB services, visit svb.com. Cooley LLP is the global law firm for tech, life sciences, and other high-growth industries. It's the world's most active venture capital law firm in forming funds and completing investments. We've worked with Cooley since the very beginning. They've helped us form two notation funds now. We recommend them to all the startups that we work with and many of our VC peers as well. Learn more about the firm and check out its dedicated site for startups and investors at Cooley.com. Ryan Neese is a managing partner at Next Play Capital, a mission-driven co-investment and fund-to-funds focused on venture capital. Previous to Next Play, he played in the NFL for eight years. Ryan is the chairman of the Ryan Neese Foundation and a fellow at the Aspen Institute. Ryan, good to have you. Thank you for having Thanks. me. It's good to Thanks. be here. Thanks for doing this. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, so. I, I we actually met at the Upfront Summit. We did, um, maybe six months ago, and um, you were a very nice guy. Uh, we had a good conversation, and then just this past week, and I, I thought That's you before might, drinks too. I thought so, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Thought you might be um, good uh, as a as a person to interview on the show, and then this past week. Uh, I spent a little time researching you and your background, and it turns out your background is a little different than uh, a lot of the other LPs we've had on this show. So um, I'm really excited to to ask you a little bit about that. So I think just to start, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and uh, what you thought about doing as a professional, whether that be maybe uh, investing or your previous career. Wow. Tell you yeah, going back about. to where I grew up. Yeah. Well, I grew up um, really about an hour outside of L- LA in, mm-hmm. a, in a city called San Bernardino, California, uh, my mother raised me down there. All my family lived down there. My father actually lived in the Bay Area. Okay. So I split my entire, have split my entire life between right. basically Southern California and Northern right. California. Um, growing up, I got exposed to the world of sports pretty quickly. Right. Um, my parents had me really young. My father uh, was only uh, in, in, you know early 20s. Wow. Okay. Um, and was started to play professional football. So, right. um getting the opportunity to follow him and be around him was really interesting. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, having my mom being blue collar, middle-class, um, that worked really hard, was very passionate about people. Um, you know, getting those two types of, 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 of lifestyles was really important to me. And, uh, my family on my mother's side was always entrepreneurial from the business world. Mm-hmm. We had restaurants in the family and other businesses that a number of, uh, family members started. So I was always exposed to the entrepreneurial spirit. Right. Um, right. and, and yet this idea of, of M excellence, um, um, 
that you had to pursue in, in every area of your life, whether that mm-hmm. be as an athlete or in the right. classroom or in business, there was a certain level of excellence, excellence that was demanded of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I got to see that. Not only did I get to hear about it, I got to see it in action. Right. So to your question about what did I really want to do, I talked about where I you know, kind of grew up. You know, I always felt like business was a calling. I didn't know where, what, that, what that really meant. I was pretty good at sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and excelled at that, but I also competed in the classroom and did not like right. to be a uh, kid, you know, that had an A minus. I wanted an A plus. Right. Right. So right. all those factors played into this idea that I was going to continue to try to be the very best at whether it be in sports or in the classroom and mm-hmm. allow the, uh, allow things to kind of play out. And, and they did in that way. So it wasn't when I was younger saying, oh, man, I really want to be an investor or I really want to own my own company or um, those weren't necessarily desires. It was just trying to be the best at where I was right. at that time. Right. When did you, at what point in your life, uh, so we can we can skip to the punchline a little bit. <laughs> I mean, your father was a Hall of Fame football player. Um, you when when in your when in your life did you begin to think of that as a viable path for yourself? Yeah, good question. I mean, even you know, getting a scholarship out, out of high school and going to UCLA right. and, and starting four years and, and, you know, playing at a high level, being nominated, you know, for a Buckus Award and like, you know, being recognized as one of the best in your conference and at your position, right. I still never thought that it was an opportunity really? because, yeah, because I just knew how hard it was, right? right. And the chances, regardless of how good you were, right. it, it just was a very small number of, of men that had the opportunity to go on and play in the NFL. Um, and, and then even not only just get there, but stay there. Right. And so, um, were there I, other sports that you considered or was it always you know, football? Uh, actually, yeah. You know, all football players wish they played basketball okay. deep, <laughs> deep down inside. <laughs> right. Um, right. And, and so I played other sports, but the, the sport that I thrived at, right. you know, right. you can only foul out of so many games before they tell you, <laughs> you, you probably shouldn't be playing basketball right. anymore. Um, so yeah. So, and when I got to college, that was it. That was where I right. you know, spent all my time and energy and, 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 but at the same time I was preparing for life without football. So I actually wanted to go to law school. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I studied business economics. I minored in political science. Um, I had the mindset that if I didn't get drafted, um, I was right. going to take the LSAT and, right. and try to go on to go to law school. Right. So fortunately, you know, as things played out, I ended up going to the Buccaneers when I was done playing. Were you... This is kind of an aside, and we'll get to everything about uh, the yeah. actual podcast. Yeah. But like, did you w- were you able to excel both as an athlete and also in the classroom at school? Like, it, do you have do you have the time to do that? Is there it's a great? You know, yeah. Like, how does it's that tough. work? I mean, it's yeah. a lot of it's a lot of sacrifice. Yeah. You know, you have really three areas that you're trying to um, succeed at. As an as a student athlete, you're trying to obviously succeed at uh, your sport and what you're doing um, uh, on the field, on the diamond, yep. on the court. You're trying to succeed in the classroom, hopefully, and then you're also trying to succeed in your social life. Right? right? It's college, right? right? So you're trying to have fun and enjoy <laughs> right. yourself, and right. make sure all three of those is you know. By some you put all the fun on, so- you, on the yeah, side, right? Yeah. <laughs> I tried. You know, I'm in yeah. LA. Yeah, I'm in LA, yeah. so yeah. it was a little hard to do that. Yeah. There's a lot of temptations. Yeah, but. Um, 
I also knew that there was a responsibility, right? I've always kind of subscribed to the philosophy, too much is given, much is required, right? And, and, and therefore, um, it's hard to serve multiple masters, let alone, you know, just two masters. Right. And so, um, it was, it was challenging to go into a classroom and, you know, I got my butt kicked um, early on when I'm taking physics and right. my first major was psychobio. I just wanted mm-hmm. to pick one of the hardest majors mm-hmm. to see if I could compete. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to be, right. a, that was my right. major. I just wanted right. to go in there and see if I could compete with these mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. And I got my butt kicked and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is real. I'll try something else. <laughs> when, right. when, when you get an 80, what I get an 83 and it's a, C minus. I was like, okay, yeah, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. This curve is mm-hmm. this curve thing. This right. is new to me. Right. Um, so uh, all of those things, um, you know, you, you, for me, it was always about competition. Um, and I was fortunate to find my groove within in the business sector and in economics. I really loved that major and tried to thrive there. Um, but it was definitely a balance. You learn. It was a great thing to learn because I think all, everything we do now in life and right. it's about balance. And, right. And and when you're present, wherever you're present, you try to be as as um, as dominant as you can be in that moment. Tell us a little bit about going from football at U- UCLA to trying to play football in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I you know went undrafted, okay. which is um, a very unconventional way to go. Okay. I thought I was going to get drafted, ended up breaking my leg the last game of my senior year. Oh my god! Um, so it really made me um, in the, yeah, playing, yeah, uh, playing yeah. in, in my yeah. last game of my senior season. Oh my season. god. So it made me undesirable in a sense, but I um, ended up going undrafted. Fortunately, uh, the good man upstairs, uh, Lord, took care of me, and, and I went to Tampa Bay. Okay, I go to Tampa. Well, that year we go on and we win the Super Bowl. What Holy an amazing shit. way Holy to shit. start your career, That's right? Amazing. And not only was it an amazing way to start my career in terms of playing uh, on a Super Bowl team. But the players that I got to play with, right. the level of excellence that I got to see hands-on from Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp and Keyshawn and Simeon Rice and John Lynch wow. and Rondé Barber and wow. so on and so forth, I was blown away. I knew right away I was at, a, at, at, a, at another league at a different level of expectation when I got onto that field playing with those players. And that helped shape me. And without that foundation, I don't know how long I would have played, but with that foundation, it enabled mm. me to have a work ethic and a mindset um, to go out every single day and play to the highest uh, of my ability and went on to play for seven years after that. But um, yeah, what a unique transition and um, the chances and the odds of of making it as an undrafted guy are, are very, very low, right? They right. really bring you in to be a tackling dummy during training right. camp and, right. you know, thanks for coming out right. and, and right. we'll see you later. And right. It was a nice little trial. So what, what were the things that you felt like you did to to actually make a career there? Yeah, I think it was three things. One, I had to understand the playbook better than anybody. Um, and I might not have been the fastest guy or the strongest guy, but I wanted to make sure that I never made a mental mistake. Right. That I knew that I could play at a high speed and, and and be aggressive without thinking. And to do that, you have to take thinking off the equation, which means you know doing a lot of mental reps, understanding yeah. exactly what yeah. you're doing and understanding what your opponents yeah. are doing. The second thing so is- So that's just literally putting like, Studying, studying, studying in the work. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Period. Um, yeah. The other thing was I just worked. I felt harder than everybody. I was so scared of getting cut. Right. And I knew that everybody had 10 times the athleticism right. than I did. I was like, well, I'm just going to outwork you. You get on mm-hmm. a treadmill and I get on a treadmill, you're getting off that treadmill mm-hmm. first. Right. And so I just had to have that mindset that I was going to be in the best shape. Um, yep. And then the third thing is I wanted to be a good teammate. 
right? A lot of people underestimate what that means, but to be in a room amongst a lot of alphas, um, a lot of individuals that are um, trying to prove themselves, a lot of mm-hmm. ego, you want to come in and figure out how to, how to fit in and get along with everybody, right? And, and, and find a way to motivate and relate to people on a human level. And so I, for me, that meant being a really good teammate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I, through being a good teammate allowed me to develop really good, deep relationships, both with my, right. um, the team right. and with the coaching staff and beyond. Did you get better as a player? It did. You, you know, did. because, yeah, because part of it's also, you know, some of my best friends, some of the individuals that I talk to now, even in the business world, you become vulnerable, right? And my dad and I talk about it's mm. really hard mm. in, a, in an area when you're in high performance areas, right? right? Whether right. in business or in sports, to be vulnerable and be like, hey, mm. man, I don't know how to do this. What right. do you think? How should I attack right. this? Um, and all of a sudden, when you're vulnerable and show your weaknesses or areas where you need help and you're getting feedback from the world's best at that particular right. position or, right. or whatever it may be, you're only going to excel, right? And I think that that, um, I, that was something that uh, I felt comfortable doing mm. after you build the relationship, though. Mm. Were you ready to, I want to talk a little bit about your transition back yeah. to the business world, but were you, were you ready to be done? Were you, never, you finished? Like, were the things that you're like, man, this is the coolest job, <laughs> but like, uh, I hate, you know, uh, getting on the treadmill every day. Yeah. Or it was just a, like literally uh, there, the there, dream There's something job. that someone told me once that I've stuck with me. Sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do to be what you want to be, right? And there are a lot of things that I did not like about uh, the game and what you had to do and the training and the right. sacrifice and, right. you know, m- you know the, the injuries and right. the bloodshed. And, right. I mean, there's a lot, right? right. I mean, it, it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody could do it. Right. Right. Um, so you, you sacrifice a lot um, especially your body over the years, but running out onto a field, mm. hearing the crowd, right? the impact that you have when you inflict pain upon somebody else <laughs> right? and being rewarded for that. There's nothing that can simulate that, right? Yeah. Th- that is an amazing feeling. The camaraderie of being in a locker room of like-minded individuals that are competing at the highest level to achieve one of the ultimate goals that there is um, in the world. There's nothing that can mm. simulate a locker room. So walking away from those things was really hard, um, especially at a point where I didn't feel like I was ready. My, I, I felt like I had a lot left in the tank. Um, but the game decided to move on, right? That's mm. the amazing part about the NFL. Mm. You know, sometimes people think they're bigger than the game. Mm-hmm. The game's always going to be bigger than that, right? Mm. The game continues long after the greats and, and the shield itself, the NFL shield moved on and I had to right. figure out how to move on myself. Um, and, and, and what's funny is I made the decision as soon as I realized that the game had moved on and I was done and I was retired, I literally went into an office right. basically two weeks later. So how do you do that? So you're 30 or so? Yeah. 30 years old. It was 31. 31. Yeah. Uh, you want to go back to the, to the business world, which is, I guess, what you studied in college. Um, how do you, yeah, like how, how do you start? How do you get back into it? Especially when, you know, you probably look at a lot of your peers who are 31 that you went to college with that are you know, nine years into their career. Yeah, they'd gone through like, business school, right. you know, worked multiple right. jobs, had great right. experience, were, you know, no longer associates or partners right. or, or senior associates that, you know, right. climbed the ladder. So um, how do you start? You got to realize that you're a rookie again really right. quickly. Right. And the way that I started was, um, I started long before the end came, right? Mm. And so 
Um, I started building relationships. I started to observe what happened to other players that were transitioning, the mistakes that they made, um, started to realize the, mis- uh, uh, the things that other players did well to help them transition. Um, and I started to ask questions during the off. There's a lot of free time right. um, while right. you're playing. And so right. I tried to maximize that free time. I took classes at Harvard. I took classes at Stanford. I started to get around individuals that were outside of the world of sports to help me understand what was it going to be like for me? Where would I fit in? Who would I um, enjoy being around? And what would I enjoy doing? And so um, fortunately, I'd built relationships with individuals in the world of real estate, and that's where I transitioned to. Um, I'd built the foundation. It had a headquarters. Um, so I said, oh, well, let me stay close to home. The reason the foundation was important is because when you start to develop donors and board members, well, those are individuals from the world of business. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah. you start to have right. opportunities to, to segue um, into arenas maybe that you wouldn't normally have if I didn't have those things. So yeah, what, that was important. During that time, what were the things broadly that you saw worked really well for athletes transitioning <clears throat> back into professional, normal life uh, and, and maybe some of the things that didn't? The, the first thing is we had, you know, a lot of us, you have to set down your ego. And right. what happens is we, re- we think that we need to go out and be the CEO. We think we need to be the founder. We think we need to be an individual of uh, uh, at the highest realm um, mm-hmm. because our ego tells us that we need that. Um, because if we don't, we feel like we're maybe insignificant, mm. right? And, and, and because we've achieved and we built our entire identity around this, this sport right. and that's no longer there. And for us to feel, you know, people still look at us with that twinkle in their eyes for people to still get excited when we, when mm-hmm. we meet them. Mm-hmm. Well, we think we need to be the CEO, and for a lot of guys, that's almost impossible um, right away. And so early on, you have to figure out how can I become that? I don't have to start there, right? A lot of guys try to start there and they take tremendous risk, right. like you know, investing right. into their own company or trying to build a company, right. do something um, that can, to before me- Before they've learned. Before they've learned. Right. Um, so that's right. one thing I think is really important. How did you think about, so you founded a company called Gridiron Ventures, is <laughs> uh, that right? Well, it was called what, what it was, was called Straightcast Media. Okay, and we built a mobile application called Gridiron Grunts. Okay, and this was a year. <clears throat> so two years after I was done playing, um, okay. I was doing real estate with the DeBartolo family. Okay. I was an associate. I was an analyst looking okay. at real estate deals. So you literally like you. you <clears throat> I literally went into right an office and just started you know looking right. at deals. Right. It's like okay, great. How do I uh, how do I you know do this? And this was someone that you met through your foundation. Correct. Okay. Um, they were in the Tampa area, and fortunately, I could come in, start to learn their process or That's how awesome. they were looking at deals and, and vetting deals That's and the awesome. diligence that they were doing and the firm and the way it was structured. Right. Um, about a year and a half into that, a buddy of mine asked me for help. He was in business school, a guy named Jeb Terry, great guy, played with him in Tampa. After he was done playing, he went to business school at, at, at Carolina. Um, and while he was there, he asked me for help on a, an idea. We decided okay. to work through this idea. And, and after looking at it, I said, let's, let's go build this. Okay. And we took his idea and co-founded a business. And what we were trying to do is create a way to give athletes the ability to create authentic forms of content and share that with the masses in yep. basically real time. Yep. Right. And so now you got to imagine we're talking about video in 2010. Right. This is really early on. People right. would laugh at us. Like, right. what do you mean? athletes sharing video and right. 
posting it on uh, ESPN <laughs> or social media. <laughs> right. right. They already do text-based messaging. Right. And so um, it took us a while to get the traction we wanted, but we decided, you know, we created Straightcast and it was a mobile video platform that enabled hundreds, if not thousands of athletes to create HD video from their phone and send it to television in 15 seconds was really what we had created. And through that, it gave them the ability to um, create content in environments where the largest media companies weren't. Yep. On the team plane, right. in the locker room, right. at their home, all these yep. really important, right before the game, yep. all these important um, moments um, throughout their kind of day, we were capturing it. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden, the media company started paying for that content. And we would we were the only company in the world that realized, well, wow, that's amazing. These athletes are the world's experts at what they're talking about. Um all the other media companies are monetizing off their their content, right? They do all these interviews and the athlete never sees a dime of that. So let's figure out a way to take that money and siphon it back down to the athlete. And so that's what we did. Now, I don't know if that was the best business model right. um, because it's not flowing to your bottom line and you have to uh, obviously right. share that with others. But um, it earned us a lot of credibility. It gave us the ability to continue to build the business. And then through that, we were fortunate we got acquired uh, by Fox Sports over right. a, a four-year period. Right. What was that like, um, that experience, founding a company and building it from the ground up over four years? I mean, I guess there's probably a lot of Man, sports that was the, parallels. That was the hardest, but, no, yeah, I'm going to tell you, that was the hardest thing that I've yeah, ever done. Okay. <clears throat> and I, that's why, for me, when I talk to founders, I, I just empathize with them and, and try right. to relate with them. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care what you know or who you know. Starting a company from zero like a napkin. Yeah, you got to be a little. You, you got to be, be crazy. Yeah. And I tell people, I would much rather yeah, I've done it. run down the field and hit yeah. a 300-pound lineman over and over again wow. than start a company yeah. from zero. Yeah. Um, because it's that hard, right? And, and things just have to go perfect. Not perfectly, um, but things have to be in your favor at times. Yeah. And you need lady luck and you need the good man upstairs to shine favor upon yeah. you. Um, for things to work out um, because there are variables and things that happen that are out of your control. I mean, I felt like I did get my law degree, the amount of contracts that I did. I felt like right. I got my marketing degree because right. of all the things we had to do from a market. Like, you're just right. learning on the run and putting out fire. Building fire. product. Building doing product. partnerships. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. Building a brand. All, all of right. the above. Right. All, all these little things that you, you maybe don't understand until you're in it. Yeah. Right. And and, yeah. and you and I, can you, you understand, you relate, you've done it. There's no better way to learn, though, than being in the fire. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's costly. It's going to hurt. Yeah. When you stand in the fire, you're going to get burnt, right? Yeah. It's just inevitable. Yeah. But what you learn through that experience, if you can, um, man, it pays dividends later on. And so um, I, I sure did learn a lot and, and grateful for uh, the experiences and the people that helped us to, to, to get to where we got. Did you spend time at Fox Sports? I, I did not. Briefly yeah, on your LinkedIn profile, you were, well, you were an yeah. analyst. Man, I tell you, they I, threw you I, in I, there. Well, that's what you're, when you're running a startup, you're trying to figure out how to make other income too. So right. you know, right? Uh, on the weekends, I would go and cover games. Oh, you would? Okay. Uh, yeah. That's, so I was okay. an, I was a okay. color analyst for Fox right. on the right. weekends, right. which also helped me build the relationship with the media right. companies and. Right. And so you're constantly. It's a hustle, right? Yeah. You're constantly trying yeah. to find, figure out where yeah. your ends are. Yeah. And through that. Which is a natural transition for most athletes, like go to coaching or go in and be in media. I was just doing it so that I could supplement my income while I was investing all my right. money into our startup. Right, um, right. Unbelievable experience to be able to talk about the game of football. And, yeah. and, and I was covering college football. So to go back and be around the pageantry of the game. But um, 
Yeah, when as, as soon as the acquisition happened, I was actually done with Fox okay. Sports working there. Right, um, You're like I've, I've put in my put in my time now. Yeah, and, out, and, right? and that's when my father and I came together, um, and really looking at what he'd created um, years ago and the foundation he laid in the venture community and 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 in a world that we lived in now, where we saw a, a need. Um, to find a way to connect our LP community investors, a lot of them happen to be athletes, with the world's best venture funds mm. and, and best founders. And, and so, um, you know, I got to piggyback a lot off of what my father created. But when I look back at anything that I've ever tried to put my, my heart and my mind into, it's really about been solving a need, right? That's why we build business. We see a need, we try to solve yep. that need. Um, whether it be through my foundation, whether it's through the straight cast or now with Next Play Capital, um, it's imperative that, I, I accomplished the goal that I have for Nextplay because there is a tremendous need. There's a tremendous opportunity. There's a gap. Um, and we feel uniquely designed to be the individuals to fill that gap. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, so you, you sold the business um, and you noticed this new opportunity. Yeah. And that, that led to creating Nextplay. Is that right? Part of it. I mean, I, I like to do things, you know, the hard way, right? I mean, everybody's gone on to the NFL undrafted, played seven <laughs> right, right, years. Right, That's right, easy. Exactly. Everybody's gone from zero, starting a company to getting acquired. That's easy. So now let's go start a venture fund from right, zero right? Um, and build that. Not only just a venture fund, let's go be a, an LP and do a fund to fund model. That's real right, sexy right, too. Right. Uh, what we saw... Um, I, again, I was my, my father being Ronnie Lott playing with the Niners in the eighties and the nineties, yep. he had formulated relationships with some of the men and women yep. that, um, really laid the foundation to what the Valley is today right. and, and really what the entire tech ecosystem right. is. Um, they created a firm, my father, Harris Barton, uh, Joe Montana, and built a, a very successful firm called HRJ Capital, okay. where they managed about $2.3 billion, a billion across venture, another billion across hedge buyout in okay. real estate. So getting the opportunity- In the to, Bay Area. In the Bay Area. Yep. Getting the opportunity to watch my father transition, um, and all right. three of those guys are like uncles in a lot of ways, transition from the highest level to go build a firm at that scale in a 10-year period was amazing. That's right. Amazing. And nobody- And when really, was that? That, that was, was from 99 to 2000. Okay. So really one of the reasons why I went into real estate, and people don't really know this, is because the year I retired, I thought I was going to go try to work at the firm, right. my father's firm. That right. was a natural transition, right? Right. right. Well, you're like, I got to learn a thing or two first. They sold that thing. I think it was, oh, they sold <laughs> so it. So I was, I had to come. Oh, That's a good way for them. Like, ah, I don't want you oh, to work there. Oh, got it. But yeah. It, it, right. Uh, yeah. So long story short, they right. ended up selling the firm um, in 2009. Um, got a chance to see a lot through that process. Now, my father and I, after our acquisition in 2010, um, I'm sorry, 2014, my father and I came together we had all these athletes and hmm. corporations and family offices and others right. that we'd built relationships with right. over the years asking us, hey, can you do diligence on this company? Can you look at this firm? Um, so on and so forth. And what we kept seeing over and over was just um, really crappy opportunities. And hmm. um, unfortunately- And this was both startups and Startups, funds, funds and all, and all, all, all sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we all know the statistics that are out there about how hard, right? I mean, just how many startups fail. We all know that. We we also know that there's f equally as number of, of firms that are failing yeah. Um, yeah. and venture funds that are failing. And yeah. we also know that there's been this huge 
um, proliferation of VCs that have been started in the last 10 years, we wanted to figure out how to create an environment where we could create this really unique community of LPs from elite athletes and influencers to CEOs to corporations, have a very robust um, robust LP community and figure out how to leverage our expertise and really the relationships mm. and be a thoughtful LP with some of the top firms in Silicon Valley. Yep. And we started Nextplay. And that's what Nextplay is really designed to, is to do two things. One, give that LP community that I just described the ability to put dollars to work um, with some amazing funds. We yep. beg for allocations. And at the same time, because we also bring some type of unique value proposition to both the GPs and the founders, we try to look at investment opportunities yep. um, so that we can be a part of the capital stack. So that we can now leverage this community that has strategic relationships in 32 of the major cities across the country. Um, we have leaders and men and women that can play an influential role and help to get the decision makers or be um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, promoters right. uh, of a particular especially on consumer companies, right. all those types of things. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time working those relationships and 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 bringing that type of value to the the ecosystem. Yep. Got to know where you are in the totem pole, and that's kind of where we play. Yep. So you started Next Play in 2015, end of 2014. Yeah, 2015. Like so you've been up and running for three ish years. Yeah. Um, where do you start with that? I mean, when you, like you're starting a new a new fund. Yeah. And and the idea is to primarily invest in other VC funds. Well, it's like, you know, we, we've talked specifically on this show, we've talked a lot about um, building portfolios across firms and how to think about different risk buckets and yeah. how to think about access versus new managers. Um, where do you start? Yeah, it's a great question, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're building our own portfolio, right? right? We have to start with with what we know. And what we do know is that there are funds that have year in and year out performed at the highest level over the last 30 years. So we definitely look at that bucket and we yep. look at some of the elite funds that are out there. And fortunately, we are able to earn access into those funds. Um, and so that's part of our portfolio. And then at the same time, we also have seen over the last 10 years in the micro VC realm where right. alpha has really been produced, right? right. We're talking um, uh, fund sizes under call it 250 million, um, domain expertise, just quality men and women yeah. that have really knocked it out of the park, right? But all of a sudden, we got 570 micro right. VCs in our right. database. How do you determine which ones you want to be in? And the ones you want to be in are probably ones you can't get in. So we try to spend time formulating relationships earning the opportunity, hopefully, um, to get an opportunity to, to make an allocation in those firms. So those are the two buckets that we really yeah. play in. Aside from past performance, yeah. which is not necessarily an indicator of future performance, <laughs> um, how do you think about uh, diligencing some of the, some uh, of the, the managers, new, new managers? Yeah. Yeah, that you work with? Particularly, I guess, the younger, the younger crop yeah. that, that, a, that's coming up now. It's 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 a great question, and there's a um, and some of the examples that are like if you looked at Chris Saka very early on, or if yeah. you looked at you know I think uh, the I some think of these folks, it's it's hard to necessarily it it is know. it is hard to find those individuals early on, but I also think that um, we do live in a small world, um, and and the ecosystem is small and it speaks volumes, and I think the individuals that in in two communities. 
one in the founder community. If you spend time with founders yep. and you spend a lot of time with founders um, outside, even in the workplace, you can start to get your an idea of who they like to spend time with and people that have really helped them and other angels, because that's where they the funds usually start is from angels, but other folks with um, within that ecosystem, it's really important for you to pull information from. Um, and that's been a really unique place yeah. for us to start to learn about yeah. other, other managers and how managers are really working with founders. What are the ones that are really rolling up the sleeves? Are they just working with found, uh, founders that they've invested in? Are they helping the entire ecosystem? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things that I think about. Um, the other thing is a, a very simple principle that I learned early on. Right. When you're a kid, my dad used to tell me, like, I don't have to worry about you. I'm like, what do you mean you don't have to worry about me? He's like, I don't have to worry about you. He's like, what I worry about are the five people you spend your time with on a frequent basis. Mm. Like, that's who I'm worried about. Mm. And I'm like, oh, yeah. he said, because I'll know everything I need to know about you by the five people you spend time with. So when I think about it, that's a lot of what I carry over into, into business now. Right. If you're building a product, give me your five best customers. Mm. Right. If you're a fund, give me your five best deals. Give me your five best. Like mm. all of a sudden, you can start to understand right. what a firm really is and who a right. person really is. Right. Um, and then the other thing that I look at is also the GP community. I mean, everybody wants to share. You know, that's one amazing part about uh, about this ecosystem. It's a little different than every other asset class that I feel like I've been around. Not that I've been around that long, but in venture, people do really want to collaborate. You have to find a way yeah. to win. You you you're a seed stage guy. You got to have some other guys above you that are going to write bigger checks. You're going to constantly build those relationships, mm-hmm. and vice versa. You're a big guy. You need people that are funding things down downstream to help you, you know, find deals, and, and they're going to bubble things up to you. So, when you listen to GPs and who they like and and who they like to work with and who they think's out there hunting, um, that's important. And then again, we show up where. GPs are like I'm going to YC, right. I'm going to right. South by, I'm going. Right. There's not a lot of fund of funds that are there in those places, but I want to see who's working. I want to see who's pounding mm-hmm. the pavement. I, I need to. I, I want to see the person that has that desire, and yep. you get around it, and it's amazing when you start to find the young GPs that are hustling. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I get text messages from guys that are responding to me in the middle of the night, yeah, because they're cranking on deals and trying to respond, yep. like. That's the guy yeah. you want to be around. Yeah. I want the next Tom Brady. <laughs> um, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned over the last few years getting the, getting the firm up and running? Like, um, you know, I assume, you know, you've gotten into maybe a few, few firms that you're really excited about or there are things that maybe you missed or you could have done differently or, um, you know, I'm just One, curious about, yeah. yeah, your own learning curve as as an LP over the last few. I mean, years. It, it's life takes effort, right? And 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 the, there's always an excuse to to not write an email, to not show up, to not do. And, and there is always an excuse, and you have to fight those excuses really hard and, and mm. put in the work, um, regardless of how good you think you are or what you've done. Doesn't really matter. It's in the past, right? And that's really why we've named the firm Next Play. It's a reminder to us, it, right. good or bad, whatever's happened, it's done with. It's about the next play. And for us, uh, what we've learned is even when you're in great firms, um, you still have a responsibility to our LPs to continue to diligence, to continue to find and continue to cultivate relationships, maybe with the next crop, right? Who's going to be here in 20, 30 years um, that you've 
build a foundation and can support. So that's one thing that is a constant reminder. Um, I, I, I'll say, you know, everybody always talks, you know, fundraising, there's always an art and a process to that. You always, yeah. you get better with reps. Yeah. Um, you get better telling your story. Um, uh, all those things are, are really important. As you, as you raise your own funds. Yeah. As you raise yeah. your own fund. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. th- that is something you, 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 you don't know until you go through it. Yeah. Um, and I think that you start to understand where your strengths are and, and, and what resonates with um, the type of investors that you're talking to. Um, and then you also do a better job of identifying the type of investors that you know that are going to have a stronger appetite. So that's really important too. I think a lot of times, especially first time managers, they waste a lot of time talking to potential LPs that yeah. they should. Yep. Right. And, 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 they need to do a better job. Everyone needs to do a better job curating who they're trying to, mm. to spend time with. We're mm. all limited on our time. Yep. But if you're really thoughtful uh, early on, that, that can save you a lot of time in the long run. And then the other thing too is for us, I'll be honest, I, I'm, I'm always fighting this idea of um, keeping your cards close to your chest, not letting too many people know what's going on inside your firm. Let your firm speak for itself. Right. Let others speak on your behalf. Yeah. But we also live in a world where there's a tremendous amount of noise, right? People are writing blogs, doing yep. podcasts. Yep. They're on television. Yep. They're tweeting. Like, all these things where they're putting out information um, to advertise about themselves. And so, you know, one of the things I know we need to do a better job is not to do it so much externally. We need to do a better job internally with our founders and our GPs to give people the, an understanding of the scope of our network. Right. Right. They understand the full power of what's yeah. there. Um, and that's something we need to do a better job of. Um, we can't assume people know that we have individuals in 32 cities that they can call on and make yeah. a decision. That's just, you can't do that. You have to, we have to be intentional about that. Yep. Um, and I think that we'll do that moving forward. Um, so those are a couple of things. Um, who, do you have mentors? Yeah. Who, 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 <laughs> who do you learn from? I mean, aside from maybe... Um, you know, uh, your father and others that have built businesses like this uh, before you. Uh, I learn from everybody. Okay. You know, from I, I'm I'm a curious person, right? Yeah. But uh, there are certain individuals that I have tremendous respect for for the way that they carry themselves and how they handle themselves. When I think about David Lee, and and, and I'm a big fan of David and, and Aileen, um, Kirsten, um, uh, uh, Somesh at, at IVP. Uh, Ryan Sarver, Red Point. I mean, the, uh, there are just some great individuals that have, you know, gone out of the way to put their arm around us right. and support us and be right. helpful to us. Um, David Hornick at August. Uh, yeah, I mean, just individuals yeah. that I try to meet with frequently to say, man, you, you guys have done it at the highest right. level. Right. Um, right. How do you, how do I get better? Yeah. Right. You know, show me how I get better. You know, the great part about being an athlete is you love negative feedback. Mm-hmm. You love it. You yeah. relish it because yeah. now all of a sudden you've shown me an area that I can get better at and I'm going to put my time and energy and effort into it. But if nobody ever tells you like, oh man, you shouldn't have done that or you, you, you kind of just, you stay neutral, right? A coach always tells you to get better, you get worse. You have that choice every single day. Mm. And for me to have individuals that are constantly helping us to refine what we're doing and what we're building is is yeah. really, really important. And outside of that, there are other uh men and women that I think have stepped up to the plate and have helped us um, just being sound in, in our, in our business principles and in our, yep. Yep. in the way we're structured internally. That's also important. I think the other thing people forget, like when you're building a firm, there's a lot of minutia inside 
that if you're not sound with it um, yeah. and you're not yeah. um, building it in a, with the mindset of being an institution down the road, you're going to be frustrated and mad that yeah. you didn't do that. Pay your dues early on. So, you know, uh, my partner, Eric Valle, Eric is great. Eric does a great job also spending other time uh, with managing partners and individuals to help him understand internally how to make sure things are sound, all that stuff. Uh, Yeah, we challenge our entire team to meet with as many individuals. David Crane, I mean, David at Google Ventures, he's been phenomenal to Mm. us. Right. Mm. Understanding it from a corporate level and Mm. the relationships and the access that they have. Yep. Uh, those things are invaluable. How do you think about the um, the market today, broadly? I mean, it's it's crowded. There's a lot of money in the market, um, uh, and there's lots of also new models popping up in venture. There's Y Combinator and AngelList and right. Scout Funds, and uh, there's these uh, new decentralized uh, venture firms, yep. and there's obviously the whole crypto and blockchain. Uh, 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 ecosystem. How do you guys think about navigating a lot of the, uh, you know, the money and the noise and the ecosystem? You learn. Knowledge is power, yeah. right? I think 100%, right? And I think that that's the first part, right? Especially in areas where you may not have expertise or have relationships. It's one of the things you have to constantly do is figure out how to remind yourself of what it's like to be a rookie, Right, because once you become a veteran, you become jaded, you become stuck in your ways, mm. you become a little bit um, crippled by um, thinking outside the box because you've done it at a high right. level. So that's our job is to continue to remind ourselves how to be a rookie and start to identify areas that we may not have expertise. And okay, how do we lean into that? How do we gain more mm. knowledge in those spaces? Mm. Um, who's doing it well in those spaces? Who's respected in those spaces? Um, and we meet with them. Right, frequently, right. So that's easier said than done. Right, because there, there, there is a, a a part of the LP community, but particularly the traditional LP yeah. community that says, you know, a venture firm works like this. It has to be this size. You have to own this much. It has to be this many investments. Because that's um, what data tells you, right? And, and that's right. What, and that and that is historically what the what the data suggests. Yeah. Um, you're open to new models. You're open to learning about new new areas, ecosystems. We're new. Maybe don't, yeah, yeah. Right, we're, right, we're, right. we're unconventional right. in a lot of ways, right. right? We're gonna have our ro- I mean, just a pure number of LPs we have is mm-hmm. is unconventional. Okay. It's more <laughs> robust than anybody. Right. But that's our How secret many, sauce. No, I'm not even gonna tell you. <laughs> this is it's in, LP on LP on LP. Okay. But that's right. the amazing part, right? right. And so we're gonna we're, you have think about it's un it's always unconventional. Every Everything that's innovative is unconventional, doesn't make sense, but that's okay. It's just your ability to continue to push and continue to find a way for it to make sense eventually. Yeah. And and for us, we respect that. I mean, you know, you talk about the current environment, uh, you know, the one thing that we will say is, you know, we're really at the beginning. We're still at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to where we are from an innovation standpoint, um, both here in the United States and beyond, right? Yeah. I think that's the amazing part of the stuff that's going on in China mm-hmm. and um and and their mission and what mm. they're spending their time yeah. on and um yeah. the opportunity India, South America, yeah. now Europe. all of a sudden uh, Europe actually has had some I mean even uh in the last year or so has had some incredible breakout companies. Yeah, and that's yeah. where you got to get excited and all of a sudden now when you think about an, a young kid in Africa that can pull out his mobile device yeah. and yeah. learn and, and and do a lot of the same things we can do what does that do to his young yeah. mind or her young mind, right? And it's the same kid in India or these other areas that didn't have that power. Now they have it. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And now what does that do in terms of innovation? Because the human mind, that's the ability. That's a that's an amazing thing. The human mind is never going to slow down in terms of finding a way to be creative and problem solve and, mm-hmm. and figuring out how to meet needs, right? That's what I get excited about. So when you think about where we are, valuations aside, man, we are at the tip of the mm-hmm. iceberg. And that's what I get extremely excited about. Amen. Um, when you think about this new this new career, yeah. Uh, could you see yourself doing it for very? I mean, venture cycles are really long. Very <laughs> long. Like, married you know, ten years, ten years at a time. Got a do lot you, of marriages. Do you imagine? Um, do you see yourself doing this for 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 a long time? And um, and uh, do you like it? Uh, well, I in think ma- about in yeah. some ways just as much, but in different ways as the as the previous career. I, I, one, yes, I see myself doing it for a long time. And the reason I see myself doing it for a long time is for a couple of reasons. One, you know, we're one of the only minority majority owned fund of funds that are built the way we're built, right? And the ability for us to play a, a role in the ecosystem as a minority. And, and a lot of people talk about where investments are going from uh, in, in terms of gender and, and, min- and minorities on the founder side and, yeah. and even the structure within firms on- yeah. Uh, 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 and inside of VC firms on the GP side, a lot of people aren't talking about where the money's flowing. Right. Right. On You're the, saying uh, on the LP, uh, LP side. side. Right. Right. Yeah. So we're really uniquely yeah. positioned in that. Yeah. And, and I'm excited about that, that my father laid a foundation and opened up a door and I have the opportunity to stand on the shoulders of giants yeah. and continue to keep a door open. And quite frankly, you know, we've created an opportunity for people to learn. Whether people invest with us or don't invest with us, I'm a believer that you can't dream about something you've never seen. And it's for us to give, whether it be athletes or others, the ability to learn and be inspired Mm. and Mm. think that there is life outside of sport other than just being a broadcaster or a coach, that there are opportunities to do amazing things. Man, that that wakes me up every day. And I get so excited about that opportunity. Um, On top of that, I also feel extremely excited about the funds that we're working with, the GPs we're working with. We're working with some amazing people. Yeah. And to spend time with them and their founders, um, you know, it's just it's it's invigorating, yeah. right? When you drink yeah. the Kool-Aid and, yeah. and 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 stand and have the opportunity to talk with people that are thinking about solving some of the world's biggest problems. Um and they do it with a conviction. You're like, man, that's impossible. That's an that's that's a crazy idea. But you, you look like the guy that's going to find a way to do it. You look like the woman that's going to make that happen. Yeah. And be able to support them on that journey. Um, man, I, I I am extremely grateful for that. And and if I could do that every day and do it well, um, and we all win. Yeah. That'd be great. Now that's not always going to happen, <laughs> but in the right. long run, hopefully you have more more W's and L's. Right. Um, and that's what get, gives you the ability to play the game for a long time. One last question, and then I'll let you go. Um, just tell us about the Ryan uh, Nice Foundation. Yeah, um, because I know that's something that's important to you, and you you started a number of years ago. And um, I just wanted to talk. Yeah, about no, that. I appreciate you asking. Yeah. It is, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time on the name. It's real yeah. creative. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More than the name, um, you know, the mantra of the foundation is the power of giving. Right. Yeah. We believe in the philosophy that uh, uh, that the more that you give, the more that you receive. Right. And, and what I realized um, while I was playing in, in the NFL, I was volunteering and spending a lot of my time working yeah. with a bunch of different nonprofits and amazing nonprofits that were doing a lot of different work. I realized that I was spreading myself too thin and I wanted to develop my own organization. And again, trying to think about the need that I saw, I saw a lot of 
organizations that had great board members and, and great staffs that had the passion that shared the power of giving, but they were older, right? And when I looked at the next generation of the messaging that they were being taught about obey your thirst or have it your way, it was all about taking care of self, mm-hmm. right? And we're starting to train individuals to only think about self. And I said, how do we combat that and make sure that when these young men and women become um, um, older, and working in, in their communities that they're giving back and sitting on boards and volunteering, yep. and, right? And so we desi- decided to um, develop our curriculum that's centered around the power of giving. So I wrote a curriculum that takes high school juniors and seniors through a two-year program, teaching them the principles of how to be a servant leader. Mm-hmm. And we start with one question, right? And I was like, if I can get kids to just ask this one question on a consistent basis, we've achieved all the goals right. we want to achieve. right. When's the last time you asked a family member or a friend, how can I help you today? Yeah. Right. That's a simple question, but how many times do you ask that question on a daily basis, a weekly basis, month? If we can get young kids to start asking that question and then deliver on it without anything, expecting anything in return, um, you know, we've achieved our goals as an organization. And so the organization's headquarters in, in Florida, uh, we do a lot of work there. We do work in L.A., um, but we're so grateful for the, the support we get to do that, to try to inspire the next generation to think about others and to, to embrace the power of giving. Yep. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Um, I'm really excited about your, uh, your career as an LP. Thank you, man. <laughs> at Next Play. And, uh, you know, I'm sure um, all, the, all the GPs and founders that, uh, that you work with will be fortunate, fortunate um, souls. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This podcast was created by Nick Charles and Alex Lines, partners at Notation Capital. Notation is a first check venture capital firm in New York. We work with technical founding teams in the trenches from day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Thanks to Cooley for sponsoring this episode. Cooley LLP is the global law firm for tech, life sciences, and other high-growth industries. It is the world's most active venture capital law firm in forming funds and completing investments. At Notation, we love working with Cooley and recommend them to all the companies we work with. Learn more about the firm at Cooley.com and check out its dedicated site for startups and investors, CooleyGo.com. We'd also like to thank Silicon Valley Bank. SVB is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors. Their experts help innovators, enterprises, and investors move their bold ideas forward. Tap into the experience and connections of the SVB team for advice on strategic, operational, and tactical issues and limited partner insights. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC. If you like this episode, please share and remember to tag it with the hashtag OpenLP. We'd also like to thank Ben Glaway, who is our amazing audio engineer. You should work with him. You can find Ben on Twitter at visible underscore sound.